Good morning. If you would please take out your copy of the scriptures and turn to Luke chapter 8. You remember the last two times we've been in the gospel of Luke, we have studied the parable of the sower in which seeds cast by the sower fall on four different kinds of soil and that represents how four different kinds of hearts receive the word of God. Well, this morning we come to the next set of verses, verses 16 through 21, uh, in which we've got a teaching involving a lamp and a light and a narrative about Jesus' family trying to see him. So let's start by just reading the text. And I'm actually going to go all the way back to verse 4 so that we can get the full context and you'll see what I mean by that in just a minute. So let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us. Lord, grant us ears to hear your word even in this hour. Lord, that the words that you have for your people would not just go in through one ear and out the other. Lord, that they would find good soil in our hearts. Lord, that it might produce an abundance of harvest. Father, help us in this hour to concentrate. Help us in this hour to focus. Lord, allow us not to be distracted or tempted to distraction. 
But Father, give us an attention to your word that would result in the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now with the surface reading, uh, we might think that these two stories in verses 16 through 21 are just completely unrelated to the previous verses and even to each other. After all, what do lamps and light and, and a family visit have to do with seeds and sowing? So then are these three narratives, right? Jesus telling the parable of the sower, Jesus giving this short teaching about the lamp, and then Jesus' family coming to see him, are those three narratives just haphazardly, randomly spliced together by Luke? Well, I think we've been in Luke long enough to suspect that that's probably not the case. It's said in all communication that, at least good communication, that choice implies meaning, And so here, what Luke chooses to do in placing these texts side by side was definitely meaningful, intentional, purposeful, because there's a clear common thread that runs through them all. If you were listening carefully, you might have picked up on it when we were reading the passage. But specifically, did you notice that there's one word that appears nine times in the 11 verses from verse 8 to 18? Verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And then in the explanation of each of the soils, notice how particular emphasis is placed on the fact that each of the soils hear. Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word. Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but. Verse 15, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word. Now look at verse 18. Now we're in the section with the lamp. Take care then how you hear. And finally, in verse 21, in response to his family looking for him, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so you see that, the common thread of hearing that runs through all three narratives. And so once again, our text for this morning, verses 16 through 21, is about hearing the word of God. But remember, the point of the parable of the sower isn't just about hearing the word of God in general. Like all you need to do is just listen to more sermons and listen to more preaching and go to as many Bible studies as you can and you're good. Because remember, not all hearing is in fact hearing. Uh, The only hearing that's of any value in God's economy is the hearing that bears fruit. right? The hearing that's accompanied by doing. What James refers to as being doers of the word and not hearers only. Because remember, all four soils hear, but only one of the four actually produces any fruit. And so while all four soils hear, only the last soil, the good soil, really hears, because only there is the hearing accompanied by obedience and by fruit. And it's only that kind of hearing that really matters. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Uh, Parents, if you tell one of your children to do something, Abby, put the books on the bookshelf, well, how do you know 
if she's heard you? Well, yes, Daddy. Well, is it the response? Well, in a weaker sense of here, yes, that means that she has heard me if she has responded, but that's not really the kind of hearing I'm looking for. Right? I know she's heard me when what I've asked her to do has been acted upon, right? when the books are actually cleaned up. It's that second kind of hearing, the hearing that's accompanied by doing and by the corresponding fruit. That's what the parable of the sower draws our attention to. And so in the same way, our two narratives today, they're going to piggyback off of that idea. Remember, Luke has intentionally placed them after the parable of the sower, right? He's trying to reinforce the same point. So let's look at our text now. And let's remember this close connection with what comes before. And we're going to do that with two simple points. Point number one, lamps. And point number two, family. Like I've always said, alliteration is highly overrated. Lamps, family. Here we go. Point number one, lamps. Start by looking at the teaching in verses 16 through 18. And Jesus is going to start it off with one of those statements that's just kind of self-evident that nobody's going to disagree with. Right? Nobody, look at verse 16, nobody would light a lamp and then cover it with a jar or put it under a bed. Remember, this is first century. They don't have electricity running through their homes, and so uh, light bulbs and switches and all that. And so the, the, the primary source of indoor light would have been lamps. Picture like these little pieces of pottery that would be filled with oil, and then you would light that, and the, the flame in the lamp would then provide light for the entire room. Now, you wouldn't put that under a jar. And don't picture like a glass jar that the light might shine through. Uh, picture like a basket that would not only block off the light, but also presumably extinguish the fire. And obviously, you wouldn't put it under a bed or, or a mattress, like that is most definitely a fire hazard. None of that makes any sense. Instead, what would you do? You would put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And he said, well, that's obvious enough. But then what does that mean spiritually? Now, here's where we need to be a little bit careful, uh, not just with this verse in particular, but with this entire section, uh, because in these three verses, verses 16 through 18, uh, Jesus is going to use three sayings that he also uses in other contexts. And if we just blindly import the meaning from those other contexts directly into ours, well, it kind of gets confusing. For example, right, look at verse 16. Those of us who are familiar with the New Testament, like you're going to recognize that Jesus uses this same imagery of not hiding a lamp and letting it give off light elsewhere in what's probably a better-known passage, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And there, Jesus uses that word picture primarily in the context of evangelism and our witness as believers. And so we might just take that meaning there and then directly import that meaning into our text. And so therefore, Jesus is talking here in Luke chapter 8 about our evangelism and our witness but that doesn't really seem to fit with the rest of the passage. And so before we limit Jesus to only using any given illustration in one narrow way, let's remember the broader context. The broader context, we are in this larger section about hearing the word. 
particularly in terms of producing fruit. So going off that idea, what Jesus is saying here with this word picture is that if you've really heard the word, like not like the hardened soil where it just bounces right off, or the shallow soil where it never takes root, or the weedy soil where it gets choked out, but like the good soil, if you've really heard the word, you're going to bear fruit. And if you're bearing fruit, that's not going to be hidden. It's going to be visible for all to see, just like a lamp is not hidden, but gives light for all to see. Because your life is necessarily going to be transformed and you're going to look different. Right? Like those who are doers of the word are necessarily going to look different from those who are hearers only. Now that certainly has implications in terms of evangelism and our witness. And so in that sense, it's related to Matthew 5, but that's not the main thrust here. Right? Rather, the main thrust is on hearing and doing the word of God. Right? That good soil will produce good fruit, and that good fruit will be visible to all, just like a lamp on a stand. Now, is it possible to fake that fruit for a season? Yes, it is. Remember we talked about this last week, the seed that falls in the thorny soil, it really doesn't look all that different from the good soil, at least for a season. It's only as time passes, right, as they go on their way, that the plant on the weedy soil is choked out while the plant on the good soil bears much fruit. And Jesus makes that point in verse 17, and he's going to use another phrase that he uses elsewhere, Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. So in other places, like Luke 12, he uses that in reference to the final judgment. But here specifically, Jesus is applying that concept to hearing and doing the word of God. Like you can hide the fact that you're not really hearing the word of God. You're not really obeying the word of God. It's not really producing fruit in your life. You can, you can fake that for a season. Judas did it. Demas did it. Uh, lots of false disciples can do that. And perhaps there's some of you even here today who are doing that right now. But eventually, it's made manifest and it comes to light. Like a bad tree can pretend to be a good tree for a season, but eventually that bad fruit is going to come out and the lack of good fruit is going to become evident. A seed that falls on the thorny ground, it might look good for a season, but eventually it's going to get choked out by the cares of the world and the lack of good fruit is going to be evident. And an unbeliever can look like a Christian for a season, you can say the right things. You can participate in all the reindeer games and even act the part. But eventually, right, that fact that his heart has never been changed and transformed is going to be revealed. The lack of good fruit is going to become evident. For nothing that is hidden will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And so, now let's follow the logic here. If the fruit of really hearing the word of God is necessarily visible, like a lamp, and if how you receive that word, right, that's going to be revealed, it can't be hidden, well then therefore what is the takeaway? Verse 18, 
Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear because how you hear, how you receive and respond to the word of God, that's either going to produce lasting fruit that shows that you really hear or it's going to produce a barrenness that shows that you don't. Take care how you hear because this is not something that you're always going to be able to fake because everything's going to be revealed. How you hear is going to become clearly evident by the way in which you live your life. So, take care how you hear. And now he follows that instruction by saying, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now again, that's another saying that appears elsewhere. You probably recognize that saying as the conclusion to the parable of the talents. Right, Matthew 25, you've got the three servants. They're all given different talents to steward. And uh, the saying is used there to make the point that we ought to steward what God has given us well and responsibly and faithfully. Well, here, Jesus is taking that principle and he's applying it specifically to, you guessed it, hearing the word of God. That is, if you're truly hearing the word of God, you're eager for spiritual truth, like you're putting into action that which you're learning, well, God is going to give you more of his word, more insight into spiritual truths. It's a concept we see all over the Proverbs, right? that if you search diligently for understanding, God is going to grant you that wisdom. But if you're not hearing the word, even what you think you have, and I think that's the key word there, think. Like if you're looking at a pew Bible right now, please do not write in it. But if you've got your own Bible in front of you and you like to write in your Bible, you might want to underline that word, think. Even what he thinks, what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He doesn't actually have anything of lasting value. He just thinks that he does. And so he's self-deceived, which interestingly is exactly what James says about those who are hearers only. They're deceived. Even that which he thinks he has is taken away, whether it be by Satan or trials or by the cares of life. Which means, friends, that when it comes to preaching the word, the preaching of the word, like what we're doing right now, there's no such thing as standing still. If you have ears to hear, and therefore you are desirous for spiritual truth, and you're, you're humbly submitting yourself to the Word of God, and you're receiving the Word of God in faith, well, more will be given to you. The spiritual insight and love for Jesus and conformity to His holiness, right? More will be given to you. But if you don't have ears to hear, you don't care for spiritual truth. You, you pridefully reject the word of God. Even what you think you have will be taken away. Your heart will continue to get harder and harder and you'll get blinded more and more and you'll be less and less attuned to the things of God and biblical truths will become more and more foreign and God's commands will feel less and less relevant. Right? Even what you think you have will be taken away. And so you see how with that one saying, Jesus reveals both this glorious reality and this horrifying one when it comes to hearing the word of God. 
And the fact is that all of us fall into one category or the other. Point number one, lamps. Which brings us to point number two, family. And we transition from a teaching about the lamps to now a narrative about Jesus' family coming to see him. But remember, we're talking about one main idea here, how one hears the word of God. And so let me just set the scene. Remember at this point in his ministry, Jesus is immensely popular. The crowds are everywhere, right? Madison Square Garden for a sold-out Knicks game kind of crowds. Verse 19, his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of that crowd. A few things we should take note of here. First, you'll notice that Joseph is absent, and so it's fair to assume that he's probably dead by this point. Uh, Second, these brothers of Jesus, well, they would have been the children of Joseph and Mary, which is to say that any notions like what the Catholic Church might espouse, that Mary had no other children besides Jesus, the, the perpetual virginity of Mary, there's no basis for that in the scriptures. Third, we know, right, think back to our study in the early chapters of Luke, we know that Mary is a woman of faith, and so we might assume that his brothers would have also believed in him, but John 7, 5 is pretty clear that his brothers did not believe in him. Fourth, why are they coming to see Jesus? Are they coming to worship? Are they coming to to listen to his teachings? Are they coming to bring him lunch? Like, what, what are they doing here? Well, if you look at Mark's account in Mark chapter 3, they're probably trying to protect him. Like, they're concerned about him. He's surrounded by these crowds all the time, and some of the people in the crowds are openly hostile towards him, and you can't keep doing this, Jesus. We're worried for you. We're worried that, that, that you might be getting carried away in this, this wave of popularity and, and messianic frenzy. But again, these are huge crowds that surrounded Jesus. Uh, The language here implies that he's indoors somewhere. And so you can just imagine the the crowds are flowing out the doors. A a latecomer is not going to be able to get anywhere close to Jesus. And so there's no realistic way for his mother and his brothers to kind of elbow their way through the crowds here. But word gets through the crowd. Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now his response might initially catch us off guard. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Just to clarify, Jesus is not here rejecting his earthly family, like disowning them or cutting them off in any way. As a matter of fact, when he's dying on the cross for the sins of the world, what's one of the last things that he does? Well, even while he's in excruciating pain, he makes sure that his mother, Mary, is cared for. Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. Right, Making sure that the apostle John was going to take care of Mary now that Jesus was gone. And so he's certainly not disowning them. What he is doing, though, is he's using this as a teaching opportunity, teaching the priority of spiritual ties over physical ties. Because there's an implication in his family's request to see him he ought to see us because we're his family. 
We're more important than these disciples and these crowds. He needs to come see us because we're related to him. But Jesus makes the point that what's even more important than being Jesus' physical brothers or mother, Jesus' physical family, is being part of the spiritual family. And who is part of that spiritual family? Well, here we come back again to our main theme. Look at verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Point number two, family. There's at least three takeaways here that I don't want you to miss. First, what's true of the master must be true of his disciples. And so Jesus will repeatedly tell his followers to prioritize the kingdom of God over everything, even physical family. Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And maybe this is one of those areas where like the lines can get blurred pretty easily. Especially in Christian homes. Because if you've got believing parents or you've got a believing spouse or you're raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then by definition, there's got to be some significant overlap between those two circles, the kingdom of God and your family. But Jesus calls us here to carefully examine our priorities, right? To, to make sure that the horse is actually driving the cart. And that allegiance to and love for Jesus is actually the primary driver of your life. Second, don't miss this staggering reality. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Just imagine that you're one of the disciples there that day. You hear that Jesus' family is here to see him, and so you're probably thinking, I better get out of the way. I better make room for his family. But then Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, you who hear the word of God and do it, you are my mother and my brothers. Friends, that is a staggering thought. But that's exactly what the New Testament teaches, that believers are adopted into the family of God. John chapter 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so Jesus is not ashamed to, Hebrews chapter 2, call us brothers. I know that oversimplifications can be often unhelpful, but I don't think it's oversimplifying it to say that much of what we struggle with as believers would be significantly alleviated if we truly believed and trusted this one glorious truth, that in Christ— You are God's child, and he is your father. Third, a a final little footnote to this section that 
we ought not to miss. So his mother and his brothers come to see him. And Jesus makes the point that uh, temporal, physical family ties aren't nearly as important as eternal, spiritual family ties, right? That is, physical mother and brothers, they ought to view him first and foremost, not as a son or as a brother, but as a savior, right? As the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, by God's grace, they do come to see that. His mother may not have fully understood that at that time, and his brothers may not have believed him at all at that time. But God did open their eyes. And we know that from Acts chapter 1, this is after his resurrection, after his ascension, Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so in that sense, they really were Jesus' mother and brothers those who hear the word of God and do it. Friends, if you've come here today and you find yourself like Jesus' brothers were as an unbeliever, like you know from the fruit of your life that you are not a Christian, you know that you need to be saved, well, you need to know that the same gospel that saved his brothers stands to save you today. The same gospel that took them from being outside of his spiritual family to being his brothers who hear the word of God and do it. Well, that same gospel stands to save you today. So please don't leave this place without talking to me or another member of this church about how you can be saved. Because the gospel is the good news that sinners like you can be saved. Point number two, family. So point number one, lamps. It's really important how we hear because it's not something that we're going to be able to hide or conceal, just like you wouldn't hide a lamp. It's going to manifest itself in the fruit that we either do or don't produce. Point number two, family. It's really important how we hear because how we hear defines the most important relationship in the universe. Not, Not our blood family relationships, but our spiritual relationship to God through Jesus. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so this entire section is about the importance of hearing. And it's most succinctly summarized by the one imperative that we have in the entire passage. Look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Take care how you hear. But how, like practically speaking, how do we do that? Like we can acknowledge that it's important. We can acknowledge that it's got to be a priority in our lives. Praise God. But then how do we take care how we hear? So as we close, I just want to give you some practical ways that we can apply this. Specifically thinking about the primary means by which we hear the word of God, which is listening to preaching. So how can we practically take care and how we listen to preaching. How can we become better hearers when it comes to hearing the word of God? Number one, don't assume that good preaching equals good hearing. Don't assume that good preaching equals good hearing. Here's the thing about preaching, which I think is a really clear implication of both the parable of the sower and our passage today. Uh, We often think of preaching in terms of 
the preacher, and of course the preacher matters to an extent, uh, like if the preacher isn't preaching the word of God rightly, if he's not preaching the Bible, he's not preaching the gospel, well, uh, he ought not to be preaching. But given that the word is being preached faithfully, right, which hopefully is true in any church that you're going to attend for the rest of your life, well, in that case, much more important than how eloquent or powerful or charismatic or clever or good-looking the preacher is, is your own heart. Because remember, there's only one seed and there's only one sower, but there's many different kinds of soil. And so you can be listening to the best preacher in the world preach his best sermon on his best day. But if you're not hearing, you're not just listening, but obeying and doing the word, submitting under the word, it's not going to mean a thing in terms of the fruit produced. And in the same way, you can sit week after week in a church with faithful, gospel-centered, Bible-expositing preaching. But if you're not hearing, then it's not going to mean a thing in terms of the fruit produced. For some of us, this application point means that we need to guard our hearts against the tendency to simply evaluate preaching. I like this. I didn't really like that at the expense of putting ourselves under the word and letting it speak to our hearts. It's a lot easier, and quite frankly, it's a lot more fun to evaluate a sermon or or critique a preacher than it is to evaluate our own hearing or critique our own obedience. But you see how the latter is much more important for the well-being of your soul. Application point number one, Take care, then, how you hear by not assuming that good preaching equals good hearing. Application point number two, how we might take care how we hear, by actively listening. Actively listening. Maybe you've heard this joke. Uh, A man once asked his friend, what color are your pastor's eyes? And the friend responds, I don't know. When he prays, he closes his eyes. And when he preaches, I close mine. (laughs) Jokes are funny when they have a hint of truth to them. And there's definitely more than a hint of truth to this. Because even if you don't sleep during sermons, which I hope you don't, you know the tendency you have to to zone out. To to stare at the backs of the heads of the people sitting in front of you or, or, or start looking up there as if you knew how to read Hebrew and Greek. Each of us, like unless you have some kind of superhuman attention span, you have to fight to stay engaged because your mind is just tempted in a million different directions to be distracted. I think it's especially true in our context because our sermons here tend to be a little bit longer. I remember once someone wrote me an email and said, "Uh, you have great sermons, but they are 10% too long. (laughs) Maybe he's right. But that's all the more reason why you, right, as those who frequently sit under those sermons, why you need to be actively listening. Now, there's no one formula that's going to work for every single person in the room, but each of us should give attention to actively listening. I think all of us should have a Bible open in front of us so that we can see the text ourselves. It's always helpful to be looking at the text while it's being preached. I think Bible apps are great 
when you're on the go and you're trying to look up a verse. There's definitely more temptations to be distracted, though, if you're looking at your phone as opposed to a paper Bible. Some people I know are are greatly helped by uh, taking notes to stay focused. And so if that's helpful for you, to the glory of God, please do that. If that's not, to the glory of God, please don't. What else? Where you sit might impact how actively you listen. Like if week after week you sit behind someone who distracts you because of how often they scratch their ears or something like that, you probably would be helped by finding somewhere else in the room to sit. Those are just some suggestions. But you get the idea, right? We ought to actively listen when we're under the word. And not think of it as passive entertainment, like we're just sitting back and and watching TV on our couches. No, we need to think of this as actively engaged listening, where we are literally fighting every minute to pay attention, fighting against the many temptations to be distracted so that we might hear what God has to say through his word. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this, First Baptist Church, uh, in terms of this, like active listening, I think you excel as a church. Like I see it every Sunday, uh, many of you are locked in when it comes to the word being preached. Like you are doing whatever it takes to listen. Uh, Guest preachers have on, on several occasions shared with me how encouraged they were by how you listen. So praise God, but let's also continue to take care how we hear by actively listening. Application word number three, come on time. Or maybe come early. I'm getting some sensitive subjects here. Uh, listen, I understand that sometimes the, the, the one train is not running. Uh, and like every other Sunday, there's a marathon or a bike race or a, a street fair going on. And trust me, I understand that sometimes you are on your way out the door to be early to church and your five-month-old has an explosion that you need to take care of. I get it. There are legitimate providential hindrances, emergencies that are out of our control. So it's not like we're, we're handing out late fines here or anything like that. But friends, if you are regularly late for service... Or even if you're regularly on time, but you're, you're barely making it in at 10.59 through the front doors every Sunday, I wonder if you realize how much you're impairing your ability to hear the word of God. So my encouragement to all of you is to come early so that you're unrushed and, and unhurried and you're in here with plenty of time for your heart to be ready to hear the word of God. Application point number three, take care how you hear by coming early. That leads me to the fourth application here, which is to prepare your heart. Now, part of this is coming early on a Sunday morning, as I just said. But I think it goes further back than that. Because if the most important thing that Christians do on a weekly basis is gather together to worship, then it stands to reason that Sunday morning is the most important morning of the week. And if the most important morning of the week is Sunday morning then it stands to reason that the most important night of the week is Saturday night. Now, I am not trying to set a curfew for you. I am not your mother. All I'm saying is that if the hearing of the word of God is our top priority, then that has to shape how we plan out and think about our Saturday nights. Am I staying out later than I should? Is my lack of sleep 
hurting my preparation to hear the word? Is there something that I could be doing better to prepare my heart than watching three hours of Netflix? Like reading and meditating on the passage or spending some time praying for the service? Am I helping my children to be engaged in the worship service by letting them stay up so late every Saturday night? Here's a really practical way that we can apply this, right? Like this week. Remember that this coming weekend is daylight savings. It's either the beginning of it or the end of it. I don't know. All I know is that we lose an hour of sleep, which means that next Sunday morning, if you're not intentional about this on Saturday night, your alarm is going to go off an hour earlier. You're going to have an hour less sleep than usual. Now again, I am not your mom. I'm not going to be calling you at 8 o'clock on Saturday and saying, you better go brush, floss, and mouthwash because it's time for bed. But friends, if this application point is true in general, that we should be preparing our hearts for the word beforehand, even the night before, then how much more true is it on a weekend that we otherwise would lose an hour of sleep? Application point number four, take care then how you hear by preparing your heart, particularly on Saturday nights. Finally, application point number five, Humble yourself through prayer. And one of the biggest deterrents to hearing the word, and really one of the biggest deterrents to any spiritual growth or anything profitable happening in our lives spiritually, one of the biggest deterrents is our pride. And so James says, specifically with regards to receiving the word, James 1.21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Basically, if you come to the word of God with a receptive, meek, humble heart, you will hear. If you come to the word with a hard heart, a proud heart, one that thinks he already knows everything there is to know, well, you're not going to hear a thing. And so we need to pray. Not just in the 30 seconds right before the sermon, but tying it to our previous application point, praying in humility, in preparation to hear the word, even throughout the week. Prayers like Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Implied in that prayer is that unless God opens our eyes, you're not going to see anything. And so that is a prayer of humility. That is a prayer of dependence upon God, acknowledging your need for his help if you're going to get anything out of his word. Or Psalm 119.73, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Again, implied in that prayer is that unless God grants that understanding, we're not going to learn anything of lasting spiritual value that will produce fruit in our lives. So take care then how you hear by humbling yourself through prayer. So just to summarize here, five application points for us to think about. Take care then how you hear by not assuming that good preaching equals good hearing. Take care then how you hear by actively listening, fighting to listen Take care then how you hear by coming early. Take care then how you hear by preparing your heart. And take care then how you hear by humbling yourself through prayer, 
Brothers and sisters, let's take care in how we hear and fight to hear the word as if our eternities depended on it. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that if anything profitable is to come from this word this morning, that it will be the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of your people. And so we pray that the Spirit would work in applying the word to our hearts, Lord, that we might live it out for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.